You're listening to the Solar Disruption Theory Podcast. Step inside some of the most forward-thinking minds in solar today. This show explores a deeper side of solar each month as Freedom Forever leaders sit down with CEOs, activists, and other solar experts to break the solar industry wide open. We'll discuss solar trends, news, and everything you need to know about how you can join us on the path of disruption. This is the Solar Disruption Theory. Today, we are absolutely thrilled to be joined by Executive Director at the California Solar and Storage Association, Bernadette Del Chiaro. Bernadette is the heart and soul of Calison and has led the successful effort to preserve solar-friendly net energy metering and other policies in California. Her ability to bring people together to influence public policy issues is something to be admired, and we couldn't be more honored to have her on the show. Bernadette, thank you so much for being here. Oh my God, it's such a pleasure to be here, and uh, thank you for having me. It's Absolutely. Really I, I, this is a, a definitely a long time coming. We started talking about this, uh, having you on the show maybe a, a few months ago, and so glad we finally got you on. Um, so Bernadette has a, a really rich history in you know environmental organization. In 1998, she graduated from Green Corps, the field school for environmental organizing. And from 1995 to 1996, Bernadette staffed the local campaign office to stop the proposed Ward Valley nuclear waste dump in Needles, California. Fun fact, I grew up in Needles. No way. I did. Yeah, <laughs> yep. it's so weird. Um, no, you never hear the word, the, the term Needles, California. Ever. Sean tends to no. have a connection with every guest that comes on, <laughs> like in some Wait, odd I- way. Were you there during the years I was? Uh, I wasn't. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that's fortunately or unfortunately, but I was not. I, we moved out uh, probably in the you know early mid eighties. Um, okay. But yeah, when I saw needles, I, I just said, oh, "Wow, no, nobody knows needles. That's crazy." Um, <laughs> no, but, I literally, I we our little office was on F Street. Right? I know, I know F Street. Yeah, Depot. Yeah, you would. Yeah, <laughs> yes. you have to know F Street here if you're in yeah. needles. Um, but yeah, so uh, Bernadette holds a Bachelor of Science degree in Conservation and Resource Studies from the University of California, Berkeley, and among other things, so many other things, she was the lead advocate for a million solar roofs. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit more about that campaign and and your background? Yeah. um, You know, when I I came back to California, I'm native of California, but when I came back from working on shutting down coal plants out on the East Coast, actually, for a couple of years, I came back to the state and I was given the opportunity uh, with Environment California, which is sort of a citizen-funded environmental group, to just um, focus the energy program where I saw fit. And what was so glaringly obvious to me back in 2002 when I started was that solar was really an underutilized resource at the time. And what seemed really ridiculously obvious to me was just how rooftop was this no-brainer, you know, untapped resource. And we had, I think, we had maybe 200, 250 rooftop solar systems in California that were grid-tied. Oh, wow. Uh, connected, you know, not off-grid, but connected to the grid. And so, um, so I, uh, that's where I started focusing and in and, and partnership with a, um, a state legislator from Los Angeles. We launched the Million Solar Roofs Initiative. It took us three years to pass that bill, wow. but wow. it won the support wow. of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And um, we ended up finally passing it against tons of opposition from the utilities and um, what that bill did and what that initiative did was um, set in motion kind of the modern day rooftop solar market as we know it. It created a big giant pot, $3 billion of incentive money, subsidy money to help buy down the cost. And then it expanded net metering, which we'll talk about today. Mm-hmm. And it introduced this idea of let's build solar into the home as the home's being constructed. So it it thought California started on this idea of um, of building solar homes um, as as we build them. So it had those three elements, and it really just ushered in this, um, you know, literally the million solar roof program where we hit that million mile marker in um, summer of 2019. Wow, um, yeah. that's incredible. So, I'm curious, what size team? You know, because like you say these things, yeah. and I always wonder, like, because a lot of times it's a small group of people that really makes these big impacts. What did your team look like in order to achieve this? Yeah. That's a great question. It is usually a very small group of people that really drive things. Um, I mean, it was really um, the core, core group was myself and our lobbyist. And 
then we as an organization, though, um, were really focused on grassroots organizing. And so we just quickly connected with all of our members. The organization had 300,000 members. And we literally went door to door. And we knocked on hundreds of thousands of California doors and said, are you with us on this? And most people nodded their head and said yes and took action. And so... It's like, you know, small group that kind of runs the, the you know, the, the engine or whatever drives, the, mm-hmm. but the train is huge. And we had, we had the most number of public comments, um, phone calls and comments into legislators office were on our one bill that year that we, we finally passed in 2006. So um, we had tremendous support. And of course, Calsa Kals- was, was then Calcia mm-hmm. uh, was a big supporter. So we had a partnership with the industry, of course, and um, lots of other organizations, um, you know, interfaith groups and um, consumer groups. And there was there was a big broad you don't pass big bills like that in in the face of stiff opposition from PG&E without building a big coalition. Right. But. But yeah, we were kind of a lean, mean little nonprofit machine. That <laughs> I love <laughs> that. <laughs> we're, we're familiar with the small but mighty teams. I think Jules and exactly. I have, have a lot of experience with that. You, sometimes you don't need a large team. You just need a few passionate people to get it done. Exactly. Yeah, sometimes larger is actually more bureaucracy and yeah, makes it harder. Absolutely. So you had mentioned how CALSA used to be CALSIA. Can you give me a little bit of background on CALSA and how, how everything came together? Yeah, it, it's a great organization. I'm really, I'm loving being part of it. Um, so CALSA, the California Solar and Storage Association, is actually California's oldest and largest clean energy business group. Um, we've got over 630 business members, and we focus uh, really exclusively on building distributed clean solar and battery storage um, systems for everybody from the military to farmers to homes and multifamily housing apartments, you name it, kind of anybody with uh, an electric meter and a place to put a solar panel Mm -hmm. uh, is, is part of our membership. And we just, you know, we service the whole industry from manufacturing to engineering and designing to installation. And, um, and we're, 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 it's an, it's an awesome organization. It previously, we changed our name to the California Solar and Storage Association in 2017, simply to uh, mostly kind of reflect where the industry was already headed, which was to start to pair the, you know, the solar electric generating panels on our roofs with a battery so that we can make that sunshine shine at night, simply put. Right. How do we move more, you know, harvest more of that sunshine during the day, that abundant sunshine, and use it in the evening and at nighttime so that we can really get rid of fossil fuel power plants once and for all. Right. And, and so we kind of gave our name a, a facelift and an update to reflect that, um, Prior to that, we were the California Solar Energy Industries Association, CalSIA, and which had formed in California in 1977. Oh, wow. So it's pretty cool, the history of, um, and I don't know how much you guys are familiar with this or your listeners, but, you know, California invented the solar panel. Like, it was a, it's a uniquely California invention, both in terms of the actual chemistry and science behind it but also in terms of the adaptation and the invention of attaching it to a home to generate power for somebody. Right. And, and it's just a cool history that basically got its start in, you know, originally in the 1950s in the laboratory, but really took root in terms of the inventiveness in the 70s. And that's who Kelsa and Kelsia, that's our roots. It's those guys that were really early believers in renewable energy and um, and this sort of revolution of this clean energy revolution that really goes back to the 70s that we're only now finally, I'd say, perfecting and making mainstream, which right. is what's so exciting about where we're at right now. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I love that background yeah. because I, I'm a Chicago native. So I moved to California two and a half years ago 
and started working here at Freedom Forever and solar was very new to me. And yeah. it was it was really funny because I actually started here and a couple months later, that's when we opened our branch in Chicago. And I'm like, yes. wait, there's there's solar in Chicago? I had no idea. We have no sun idea. there? <laughs> I know, I'm like, the sun never shines. So, you know, for me, solar was actually very new and I'm still learning to this yeah. day. So I love this, I love this fun fact. This yeah. is super exciting for me to hear. And I don't think a lot of people realize how far back solar goes. You know, people, I think, assume it's a new technology it's something we just started using, but you look back and, it, and yeah, from the fifties, there were, there's, there's still some, some solar panels on roofs from the seventies. Well, at one point there was solar on the white house. What yes. was that? Was that back in the, that was in the late seventies, I believe. Yeah. 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 It, it's true. And, and a lot of those old solar systems are still working. So just talking about Calsa and, and who you service, who is, who are you targeting? Who are you working with these days? Calsa has over 630 members. Um, member companies. These are businesses that specifically work in the California distributed. And when I say distributed, I mean primarily rooftop or um, it could be a, a farm has a their own solar system, but it's people who uh, behind, you know, want to generate their own energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that's who we service. And our industry and our members are, you know, companies, of course, like Freedom Forever, um, there's over actually 300 of our, uh, almost half of our membership are installers. So folks that are in every nook and cranny of California mm-hmm. that roll trucks and climb up on roofs and, and do the actual labor of installing these uh, clean energy uh, systems. We also have um, almost every manufacturer um, that manufactures products um, into the, for the California market, mm-hmm. um, everything that you would have in your home. So the solar modules on the roof, uh, the racking and the mounting that, you know, connects it and, and attaches it to your roof, um, the inverter in the garage, the battery in yeah. the garage, those guys are all members as well. Okay. Um, and then everybody in between, all of the services, the financiers, the permit providers, you know, all of the folks that even insurance specialists um, that service the industry are, are members. We're really proud of having built CALSA into um, an organization that really, really represents um, about 80 to 90 percent of the active market in the state. Wow. That's awesome. Because like we've talked with, we've had um, Dave from Solar Rights Alliance right. on, you know, we've also talked with Sun. Um, so CALSA being California specific, are there other organizations similar to CALSA, but in other states? Or like, is there a nationwide sort of organization that's similar to you guys that you work with? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, There are many other state-based organizations like CALSA, um, probably at least 30 different organizations that are are like us. Um, And many are starting to change their name uh, to be similar to CALSA to reflect so, um, COSA is form of flattery. It, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Open, you know, open source here. Uh, we we love it. So, Colorado, there's a Colorado Solar and Storage Association now. COSA, um, there's a Chesapeake um, Bay one out for Maryland and Virginia. Um, Oregon um, has uh, OSEA, but they uh, are ref- really kind of prominently reflecting um, solar and storage. Um, your home state of Illinois has a great organization run by a woman named Leslie McCready, who, um, I'm sorry, no, Leslie McCain. Sorry, Sean, your name. I was like, really? Maybe we're related. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie. So, yeah, there's um, there's really great organizations all around the country. And, and I would encourage any anybody who's listening, who's in, uh, you know, part of somewhere else in the, in the country um, to really partner with your local association and, and make them stronger, you know, as a result of your participation, because that's kind of what makes these groups strong is that everybody that's in the industry and in the market, um, you know, puts, you know, comes together uh, to, to work together to make the make the market stronger. Absolutely. And Jules had mentioned uh, Solar Rights Alliance. We have, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Dave Rosenfeld. <laughs> He's a, a wonderful man. I call him a friend. You know, we talk frequently. What is your relationship with the Solar Rights Alliance? I love the Solar Rights Alliance. Um, so I, I call them, Dave has his own way of describing it, but the, in my mind, it's like the NRA of the sun, right? The, for, right. Not, not that, that there's any politics to it there, but it's just, you know, if you have you have the ability to generate your own power, there is this real threat that the utilities are going to reach behind the meter and try to um, 
you know, take that away from you. And there really needs to be a strong voice for the consumer. Again, whether that's a homeowner or a renter or a farmer or a school, you name it, that voice, that consumer voice needs a clear advocate. And that is Dave and the Solar Rights Alliance. So um, I was one of the early uh, kind of uh, adopters of the concept, I think um, is maybe the safest way. Um, You know, we kind of incubated it at CalSA, Mm -hmm. um, gave it startup funds and um and i recruited dave oh wow (laughs) (laughs) but it's um but we 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 deliberately set it up and and have kept it to be its own organization um that it's independent it has its own board of directors its own source of income its own membership its own mission um and so it could really be a strong independent voice for consumers that works in close partnership with the industry um but isn't is the same. Yeah. Right. So is it fair to say like Solar Rights Alliance is more the consumer and then CalSA is more the industry? Absolutely. That's 100% it. And I think it's, I just think it's always important to keep clear missions in organizations that you don't bleed those two things together into one group, but you keep a really clear sense of who you are and what you're trying to do. And uh, and so that was kind of the idea of the Solar Rights Alliance is create an own or its own nonprofit organization with its own clear mission uh, to speak on behalf of consumers. Wonderful. Uh, that's so great that you had such a hand in it in the beginning. It's, it's such a wonderful organization. We're huge fans. <laughs> great. So, I love them. Yeah. Thank you for your work on that. So it, it's, I, I feel like, you know, it's kind of like the way we operate. You know, we, we focus on one thing. We focus on, focus on the installation side of things. It, it helps you to be more strategic, uh, more effective in what you're doing. So I, I love the, the the separation between you and, and Solar Rights Alliance, where you're focusing more on the industry, the installers, the the manufacturers, uh, to to give them a voice. While Dave and the Solar Rights Alliance, and then organizations like Solar United Neighbors with Anya Schoolman, they have the opportunity to really rally the troops as far as consumers go to give them their voice, because you know ultimately they're the ones that are benefiting from all of this. Yep. Yep. No, that's a really, that's perfectly put, you know, you as a business by having focus, you can be better at that specialty focus and you can, you can just do it really well. Quality, you know, is so important in the work we do. And and so that having that quality come from the top in terms of your focus and your mission, you know, this came also in, it's not just in terms of advocating for certain policies um, like say net metering it's also important just in day to day. I mean, we do at Kelsa a lot of work to just remove the barriers and the road for our companies to be able to do what they do best. So just even, you know, the littlest thing, like it's sort of like if you were to walk a mile, having a pebble in your shoe yeah. is, you know, it, it's like, it, it really drags you down. So yeah. we help our members deal with the minutia of red tape in the permitting office, um, we, you know, there's an interconnection problem with the utility company, um, or even last year during COVID, you know, we were the organization negotiating with the governor's office to make it clear that solar installers were part of the essential services of energy mm-hmm. right. so that, you know, we could get to work safely. It's those little things. I mean, that's no little thing, but it's the what businesses need is unique to business. And, and so by having that focus, CalSA can not just do the big picture, you know, forward, forward looking policy work, but we can also just get down in the weeds and do the nitty gritty stuff that our companies need to just do, get out on the roofs and do what they need to do. Right. You had mentioned essential workers and, and everything that was going on during COVID. How did that affect the industry for all of your partners? Uh, it was rough. Um, you know, like everybody else in America, um, for the most part, but especially California, we we had most of our member companies were completely shut down and had to furlough their workers. Um, and, you know, some companies just completely shuttered their business because they just could not, you know, weather that storm. Yeah. Um, and a lot of folks struggled to get, you know, the loans from the government. Um, you know, there was a lot of hiccups, of course, everybody was struggling. It was a pandemic. It was a crisis. I'm not complaining per se. It's just, it was hard for our members um, for several months, especially hard hit were some of the Bay area companies where, you know, the Bay area counties really had the strictest lockdown. And um, it took a while for us to open that back up to safe, um, you know, business practices. Um, 
once we did, of course, so, you know, basically bottom line hit almost everybody extremely hard. We did a survey and about 85% of our companies were negatively hit by, hit by COVID, both in terms of revenues, as well as having to lay off or furlough workers. Yeah. The upside is, of course, once we were able to secure that essential worker status and get back to work safely, the market eventually, end of summer, as you, I'm sure guys experienced, mm-hmm. started to really pick up because so many consumers were, you guys have your own analysis, but what I've heard is twofold. Um, a lot of consumers were home and really investing in the home front you know, kind of the security of the home and the safety and health of the home. And, and a lot of people extended that to just smart, no-brainer investments like solar energy. Um, and then obviously there was also just the wildfires and uh, the clear and present danger climate change, which I think also helps spur a lot more people into, I've been thinking about doing this. Maybe I should get off my duff and just right. actually. Yes, absolutely. So we recovered, what we ended well. We ended the year as an industry well um, because of that dynamic of consumers just really wanting the products that our industry offers. But um, it, you can't erase the debt and the, the losses from the spring. And so a lot of our folks are still, you know, kind of bruised and battered coming out of, you know, as we start to emerge out of the pandemic, which makes it, their ability to weather any kind of regulatory change um, any kind of hit is going to be harder for us to manage um, as a result of COVID. Right. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was interesting for us because like, I think that essential workers really was our saving grace. Absolutely. Um, You know, I'll say, you know, Brett, our CEO was very forward thinking. We've talked about this before, just seeing this coming, like he was looking at Europe and what was happening in Europe. And we were having these conversations a couple of weeks before things started really affecting us, you know, stateside. Yeah. And, you know, we, we did, we were hit a little bit in the beginning, but luckily, you know, brought back real quick, a lot of people we had to furlough and things of that nature. But yeah, we, I will say as a company, we were very, very fortunate through COVID. Um, and it's a lot of it has to do with that essential workers um, rating. So thank you. I mean, honestly, thank you. I mean, that's, (laughs) The, the work everybody, you know, the work that your team did and, and, and everybody you worked with to get this done. I mean, the, it, it saved, it saved the industry in California, if, if, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Yeah. You're, yeah. Thank you. It was, um, it was a really stressful time because, you know, we feel sort of the weight, the weight of our, of our businesses um, on our shoulders as just the CALSA team that, you know, you're our reason for, for being like existing. We, we don't have any reason to do this job if not for you guys and the health of your, of your company. And so uh, to just be fielding calls from all around the state of what yeah. people were experiencing, it was heart wrenching, uh, but it, you know, it drove us to, to get that, that it took way too long, but government moved so slowly. And um, you just, you know, we had to just put, put aside you know, any hesitation and be a squeaky wheel and, and get that, get that, um, you know, that declaration through. Yeah. Um, and then we also follow up with a lot of individual counties, especially in the Bay Area, because, you know, there was that whole, the state says something, but this counties ultimately can do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. So there was also just a lot of follow up, you know, retail work with individual counties to make sure they, they got the memo and, and um, allowed us to get back to work. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, like with COVID, you mentioned the wildfires, even our election last year was definitely yeah. an interesting year to say the least. <laughs> to say for, the least. <laughs> yeah, for our industry. So curious though, like how, you know, let's let's fast forward to this year. You know, what? where do you think solar is headed in 2021? Well, I would guess that 2021 is going to be a pretty big year for us. Mm-hmm. Um for the, much the same reasons why 2020 was ended ended on a high note, um, I think a lot of people are continuing to invest in um, improving their their homes and making their homes safer. I think the utilities continue to basically fail to provide reliable, safe, and affordable power, and which is what they're mandated to do. I mean, that's their that's their whole reason to be a monopoly is to provide clean, affordable, and reliable power and they seem to not be able to do any of those three right. things. I think consumers are just fed up with that. And um, and they recognize that we we have a real solution to all of those problems. Um, and I think 
so I think we're going to see, and then I, you know, again, climate change, it, it you know, the, just this notion that we can't continue on the path that we're on, whether your motivation is climate change or clean air or wildfires, whatever. We just, I think most people recognize that and, and really want to invest and do something tangible. I mean, I think that's one of the things I loved about rooftop solar and why I sort of chose this particular you know, kind of clean energy focus among so many different ways I could have gone, you know, back in 2002 when I kind of set up down this path. But beyond just the pure power of and the, the, the logic of building energy in our built environment, like incorporating power plants where we live, work and play, so smart, but also just the ability to make real concrete solutions tangible to everyday people. Right. You know, you could just, it's its real. It's not like buying credits off of some market. You know, you're trading your carbon credits or whatever crazy yeah, ideas. Right. Yeah. And it's not invisible, you know, nothing against energy efficiency, but it's, those measures are really invisible. They're not that tangible. And so uh, I just love that. And I love how you, you know, visible it is on the street, yeah. you know, so see your neighbor and you do it, you know, and, and then your school does it. And, you know, it just becomes a community-wide, like, barn-raising uh, kind of thing. And so I, I love that aspect of it. And I, so I think that's going to continue, which is why the utilities, they know that. And, you know, we'll get into this, but it the one loser in all of this, like, everybody wins with rooftop solar. The consumer wins, businesses win, the environment wins, the community at large wins. The one loser is the fossil fuel industry and the utility industry um, and that's why they're trying to, you know, cut us off at the knees just as we're starting to get, get going. Yeah. And that's, and that's so interesting. And, and a lot of this was, was brought to light. So Jules and I have, have admitted multiple times on this show, we were not solar people before we came to freedom forever. Um, you know, and, and we, we learn every single day. Um, and it wasn't really until we watched, um, and this is how we came across you, uh, power trip with Jonathan Scott. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. We watched that that documentary and I was just I mean, I was appalled at, you know, how much politics um, and the the economic climate, like how much that went into kind of trying to defeat solar. And and like you're saying, everybody wins except the utilities. And, you know, you would think it's a no brainer. Yeah, sure. The people should win. But it's just it's not that way. Like, what are some of the cha- the challenges that we're facing because of these political and economic climates that we're in? Yeah. Yeah. And just a plug for Jonathan Scott's Power Trip. It's a great, great documentary on PBS. Um, you know, the the utilities um, are very, it's an incredibly profitable business. Um, they make a lot, billions and billions of dollars and they have a lot to, they have a lot to gain by maintaining their monopoly. I mean, they have a virtual complete monopoly over where our energy comes from in terms of our buildings and in our homes. And um, they do not want to let go of that. I mean, they're shareholder driven companies that have to post a profit every quarter. And so they're really on that, you know, that that treadmill Mm -hmm. and distributed rooftop solar when consumers start to make their own power they um, they cut out the utilities profit. It doesn't mean the utility is going to go away. I mean, I think, you know, one thing is if we if we had the kind of environment to get to your question, Sean, if we had the kind of policy environment in which the utilities were simply a boring utility without tremendous political power in the legislature. Right. Well, then they, they would just simply be a smaller profitable utility. They would be as small or as big as the community they serve needs them to be. Which is how it should so, be, right? I mean, that's that's what it should be. Exactly. And that is how it should be. But the problem is because they're shareholder driven, they are, because they have that profit motive, their goal is simply to grow their profits, even if, and this is what you see in California, if they lose sight of the actual service they're supposed to be providing, and because they have a guaranteed rate of return, a guaranteed profit that the government hands to them, unless that government is going to be really strong and wrestle them to the ground and say, you've got to behave yourself, 
then you have this captured regulatory government agency that just lets them keep running roughshod over consumers. And that's what we had in 2000, in 2001 with the Enron crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what we have today, I mean, the price of energy in California is going through the roof. And it's going through the roof because the utilities have to keep building more and more poles and wires and big infrastructure to make their profit. That's how they profit in California, by yeah. building more stuff. And um, and then on top of that, by not managing that stuff well, they're igniting all of these wildfires. And so we just, as ratepayers, we're spending $9 billion this year in California alone, just oh, one wow. year, $9 billion just for continued build out of transmission lines and then wildfire liability of That's those so lines. It's, right? it's, I mean, it's, it's gross. That's the only way I can ever describe this conversation. It's gross. It is. And in that $9 billion is a 66% increase in PG&E territory alone over what ratepayers were paying in 2016. Wow. And half those expenses, here's the last thing. They're self-approved. So there's oh. no government agency saying, yes, this is needed or no, this is not needed. They're self-approving it. It's like we're a cash register. Yeah. Ratepayers are basically a cash register. And nobody's that fool, right? I mean, right. most of us in California, we recognize that. And that's why we're like, I want relief. I want to have some control. And building a solar panel on my roof that's going to last for 20 to 40 years that's a no-brainer. Like we should, t- whether you believe in climate change or not, it almost doesn't matter. It's uh, this is my energy. I'm locking in the cost for myself, and yeah. so we've actually tried to tell that saving story because yeah. it is. You know, a lot of people look at you know going solar. Like you have options. You know, depending on who you are, we do offer options. You know, if there's a lease, PPA, or ownership. Right. But being able to tell especially that ownership story, because like you do pay on the front end, but at some point you do pay that loan off and then you are making your own energy. Right. So it's like you said, with um, monopolies, the yeah. electric companies, the rates keep going up and up and up. So people aren't locked in at any kind of a rate no. if you continue to get your power from them. Yeah, they're, they have a, they're, they're printing their own money at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, and you're, you're, you're stuck. As a consumer, you're stuck. And yeah. um, and so getting people to understand, yeah, back in even back in 2006, when we passed the Million Solar Roofs Initiative, I remember often saying solar is the one thing that increases its value the minute you drive it off the lot. Mm-hmm. Like name another consumer product that becomes more valuable over time. There's, I mean, there's basically none other than maybe some highly, you know, some piece of art or something. Right. <laughs> but I mean, and that's all subjective. Uh, but, you anyway. know, right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's 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 a huge, it's a really smart investment, and it's really helpful for everybody else. Even if you don't, if you're a young person and you're, you know, going to college and you're renting or whatever, and you pay your electric bill like everybody else, it helps you to have all of those homes and farms and schools putting in solar, saving money as a result because it's saving you money as well. And this is the thing a lot of folks don't understand and the utilities right now are running this big PR campaign. They've hired a super fancy PR firm and they're pushing this idea of, you know, you've got to pay your fair share and you solar users aren't paying your fair share and that's now causing people who don't have solar to pay more because of you. And so it's this idea that a lot of people kind of on the surface go, oh, that makes sense. We've all in this together. We should all be paying for the grid, right? Right. And what people don't understand, you have to just stop and think about it is the more systems we put up on roofs in our cities, the more we build power plants in our cities and in our communities, the fewer power plants and the fewer poles and wires and transmission lines that have to go across a parched landscape and that spark all these wildfires and, you know, the less of that stuff, less smaller the grid, the greater the savings for all of us. Yeah. Not to mention more reliable, cleaner, better for the environment and, and less prone to blackouts and wildfires and wind and whatever. Yeah. So it benefits us all. But 
this is like the utilities don't really want people to think of it that way. They want to th- make it seem like, you know, one rate payer versus another rate payer, solar user right. versus mm-hmm. solar user. And that's right. the big debate. And that California. was the thing I think that caught Sean and I so off guard when we watched Power Trip was it's kind of these confusion campaigns yes. that come out and they spend millions of dollars trying to distort the, that that reality for just the average person They're like, oh, OK, that makes sense. Yeah. But it's not it's not the it's not really the reality. Right. And, and, and speaking of that, I mean, and this is really the biggest reason I wanted to have Bernadette on the show. Uh, there is there is a distraction campaign going on right this moment, and it's called you know um, fix the cost shift. It's affordable clean energy for all. It's this illusion of helping more people go solar at a more affordable rate. Uh, what it really is is net metering is under attack in California. Bernadette, would you mind just kind of you know for those of you who may, for those listening who may not know what net metering is, uh, if you could just give me an overview of net metering and what's being proposed in this new conversation with the utilities. Yeah. So net metering is this really cool policy. It's this cool program California actually put in place in 1995. We were the first state to kind of come up with this idea. And it's now taken off all around the country. And it is the number one driver, really, of uh, of distributed or rooftop solar. The way net metering works is it's a simple billing mechanism that makes it possible for you as a homeowner or as a school or as a business to install enough solar on your roof to come close to, if not meet it, um, covering all of your energy needs for the year. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it does that by just one simple function, which is if you install a two-way meter, which is a new thing, you know, a non-solar home doesn't have a two-way meter. A non-solar home just has a one-directional meter and it's simply for the utility to charge you for every electron you buy from them. Mm-hmm. Net metering, you go and you swap that meter out and you put in a two-way meter so that for every electron you consume, you get charged for it just like always. But for what you overgenerate on a hot summer day, you send back to the grid. It goes to your neighbor's houses, right? They get to use your sunshine generated energy and you get a credit. And that credit then goes toward your energy use at night or in the winter. Mm-hmm. And so by that way, you can kind of on paper cover all of your energy needs because you're getting a credit for what you generate more in the summer than what you do in the winter. And it has really allowed regular consumers to pencil out and to afford solar mm-hmm. because without it, it, you wouldn't have that benefit. You'd have to just install an itty bitty tiny system never export anything to the grid and it just wouldn't be worthwhile. It wouldn't be worth your investment. Right. And what state gets out of net metering, if you stand back and think about it, is that we get, we have 1.2 million people who have gone solar in California and every single one of them put their own money into what is essentially a public infrastructure project. It's a humongous power plant. We have 10 not to throw too many numbers at you, but we have 10 gigawatts worth of rooftop solar in California. 10 gigawatts. And to put that into context, that is five nuclear power plants. Wow. That's insane. Isn't that insane? Yes. It is a huge amount of energy and it was all paid for by individuals investing or getting a loan, but it's still their investment, right? Right. It's private money in a public infrastructure. And we've right. been able to shut down power plants. We've been able to avoid expensive transmission projects. We saved ratepayers $2.6 billion in 2018 wow. by reducing the amount of poles and wires the utilities had to build to power our homes because we were self-powering. So it's incredible when you add it all together. You know, any one single solar home isn't going to save the earth or save whatever but added together it's really really powerful yeah and that's all net metering net metering is like the power behind that whole market because it's this simple transaction that every you know every consumer can take advantage of because it's built into your your electric bill and so that's that's why it's so powerful and it's so effective and that's why the utilities are coming after it. <laughs> right. And so what are what exactly are they trying to do right now? 
So the utilities are trying to basically gut net metering and do away with it. Um, They are, there's three main kind of pieces to this threat. Um, One is they're trying to say that that energy that you put back on the grid, remember that two-way meter, the electricity that flows back to the grid and goes to your neighbor's house at three o'clock in the afternoon on a, you know, August day, that that's only worth uh, what's called wholesale power. So it's only worth um, like five cents is why 5.7 is what the utilities have proposed um, versus retail, which is the rate we currently get, which is 25 cents. So they're kind of like, you're not worth, you're only worth the value of the electron that's coming from a utility scale power plant. Mm -hmm. The problem with that math is the delta between 5.7 cents and um, and 25 cents, what we get today, that is in there is that $9 billion that we're all paying right now for transmission and wildfire liability. Right. There's about, you know, it, it, it is not turning open space into an industrial power plant. It is the idea of building and creating jobs within our communities. There are all of these values that were, and it's also renewable energy. The utilities, um, this is an interesting little wrinkle. They're basically saying your power is not green. It's not renewable. We don't count it as renewable because we would just build the solar power plant out in the desert ourselves. Oh. That makes absolutely well, that no, make that sense. That makes no sense. It doesn't to me. Make any like, sense. I'm trying no. to follow you right now, and you should see my facial <laughs> I'm, expression. I'm so, and I'm like, huh? But I'm yeah, telling no you, sense. this is part of their math. When they sit down and with a straight face say that rooftop solar is a burden and a cost to non rooftop, this is part of their math. It is, it is false numbers, it is big lies, and they have enough money to put behind a PR campaign. And they basically, you know, they have a lot of power. I don't want to say they completely own the legislature, but pretty darn close. Mm-hmm. And so they get to kind of get away with this stuff. And it, to most people, you know, reason why I love programs like this and others is we can shine some sunshine, you know, some sunlight into these decisions. Yeah. And you get real people that like think about this and go, no, no, no. <laughs> so yeah. anyway, that's part of their logic is they go, okay, so that's change number one. Sorry, I'm going down too many No, you're fine. You're fine. They want to slash the value of the rooftop solar energy by over 80%. That's change to net metering number one. Mm-hmm. Number two is they want to say, they want to charge you as a solar user a monthly fee. The fee would be based on the size of your solar system. So if you have a larger solar system, you'd pay a bigger fee. And on average, it would be around $70 a month. So $70 a month simply because you have solar on your roof. Which in most cases redu- completely eliminates the savings that you were seeing from your solar system. In most cases, it eliminates it completely. It would completely kill the market. Even if you slash that fee in half, you know, they're very clever. They know they won't get 70 right? I mean, that's what's on paper. That's what's being proposed. Right. But they're, you know, they shoot for the stars and get the moon, right? So they, they, they would seem like 35 is super reasonable, right? And, right. and government could go, well, we met them halfway. Right. We, you know, we didn't do $35 a month would kill the economics for yeah. half the market. I'm trying to think of a way to like, you know, think of like a different scenario where this this situation happens for it to make sense and i actually can't even think of anything well it, it would be as if say you got an electric car and you're charged two hundred dollars a month by, to use an electric car be, but that's but the by, savings you're getting but, but out almost of the gas like by a different brand right so right. it's like right. it would be like being charged by the gas company down the street the the you know the the chevron down the street would charge you for not buying their right gas. right, right. They're, they're yeah, penalizing go, you for not using their penalizing services. You. Yeah. yeah, they would go, wait, we built this gas station. We, we've got all these underground storage tanks and you're not buying our gas. So we've got to recoup our profits somewhere. Right. So we're going to just come charge you a fee because we we thought you were going to be here buying our gas for the next 20 years. Right, right. That's literally that fee, the logic of this fee, what is so flabbergasting is the logic behind this fee is we're going to claw back the savings that you from every electron you self-consume. Forget about those exports. We, we dealt with that with that 80% reduction, right? Right. This is now how do we claw back 
what you're saving by generating your own power. It's um, it's like it's just the most backwards and they and they've like kind of gotten people into this a lot of policymakers into thinking right because the more power you buy from the utility the better because if you buy more electrons from the utility then you're spreading out all the costs across each electron it's just this crazy convoluted logic that has gotten a lot of policymakers confused and and thinking that yeah this just makes sense to charge people now i mean to your question you could imagine a small, a very small fee, and we have one. It's called a minimum bill. Mm-hmm. So any of your customers know if they have solar and they completely consu- you know, generate way more energy in a year than they would use, they're still going to pay 10 bucks a month. It's a minimum right. bill. You have to pay $10 a month in California. Nobody really has a zero, zero, zero bill. Right. And that's just because there is, you know, we're connected to the grid. If something went wrong with our solar system, our lights would stay on. Right. We, you know, we use power at night, even if we pay for it. So there's some there's some minimum, you know, just kind of value to that. Sure. And ten dollars is totally reasonable. Ten dollars you know, is reasonable. Hundred and twenty dollars a year that you pay simply for the privilege of being connected to the grid for a battery backup, basically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind of like an Uber battery backup. One hundred and twenty dollars a year. That's actually no small amount of money. And that's what, you know, that's really what we should stick with. Um, and if the Public Utilities Commission decided that they wanted to charge all ratepayers some minimum fixed charge, then that debate should happen. You know, that, that there's some, we can't do everything through rates and we should do some, fi- you know, small minimum bill, fixed bill, and then, you know, u- charge by usage above that. That should happen to everybody. Yeah. The distortion in the conversation right now about rooftop solar and net metering is, the utilities are saying, let's only charge solar users that kind of a fee. Right. Only people with solar. And, um, and it'll destroy the market. Um, and then the third threat right now I just want to highlight is they are looking to make these changes retroactive. So not just about solar going forward, <laughs> but to actually penalize our 1.2 million people that have already gone solar. That's devastating. It's absolutely, it is a, it is um, a travesty of public policy. The state of California to specifically encourage its people to invest in clean energy, to join it in investing in this clean energy future, to encourage those people, and then to go change the rules in the game after the fact. Absolutely. Um, So, but that's a real threat right now. There's a bill moving through the state legislature, AB 1139. Um, and it's got a lot of wind uh, at its back. It's got a lot of power behind it, yeah. and it, it, you know, it's a real threat. Um, we are going to fight it and give it everything we've got. Um, and 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 luckily, it's not quite at the ta- on the table over at the Public Utilities Commission. There's sort of an agency that's making this decision, and the legislature is trying to step in. And there's this big tug of war of policymakers of who should decide the future of net metering. Yeah. Um, and and grant the idea of grandfather and so-called grandfather and existing customers, that's fortunately not on the table at the agency level. The agency has kind of said, no, we we don't think that's good policy. We should protect people and give them 20 years of, um, of the policy that they signed up for. Right. Um, but if this bill passes, that will overwrite whatever the PUC has decided, whatever the state agency has decided, and it will become the law. Right. And so um, it's a real threat. That's that's incredible. I'm, I'm really happy that you got into the details and that you're yeah. able to explain this because it's, it like Sean said earlier, it's just gross. There's no other way to really explain it. Right. Um, but Bernadette, what... I know Sean and I've got some plans, you know, this year. I know you guys have some plans this year. I know we're ready to take action. But, you know, for those listening, like what are some of the things that you guys are focused on doing to combat this and how can people get involved? Yeah. Okay. Awesome question. Number one thing that everybody that cares about this should do is go visit www.savecaliforniasolar.org. So save California, all spelled out solar.org and there you can sign a petition to governor newsom it also goes to the state agency so it becomes a formal public comment 
and you can join with the tens of thousands of people lending their voice to this. Those kind of actions, if it's you know for what it's worth, really make a difference if you can get big enough numbers. So our goal is two hundred thousand signatures, um, and we're just getting started. So we really need everybody that can you know hear this to to go to that website and sign that petition. You can also sign up to be kind of on our activist list and get alerts and get opportunity to take more action. Um, so that, that's number one. That's super easy. If you are wanting to do more and you live in California, you should pick up the phone and call your state legislator, your state assembly member, and tell them vote no on AB 1139 or your state senator, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. You just call either of them. And... Um, and you should join the Solar Rights Alliance. Like we've talked about Solar Rights Alliance a lot, but if you um, are a solar user, you should join the Solar Rights Alliance or Solar United Neighbors if you're somewhere else in the country outside mm-hmm. of California. And if you're a solar installer or in an industry, you should join CALSA if you're not already uh, a member. And um, those are really the two, th- I mean, those are the hard, you know, impactful things that you could do right now to, to give us a fighting chance. This bill... And the decision, let's see, it's May right now when we're talking. Um, the bill will remain a threat uh, probably through August. And then um, the PUC, the Public Utilities Commission, that's making this other decision, basically the same decision on net metering, that's going to remain a big campaign through January of 2022. Gotcha. Just give you a sense. Of- so lots of great information. And, and you know, there's there's easy ways to get involved for everybody. Um, you know, check out those sites. We'll, we'll go through them again at the end of the show. Um, how for, for those who are looking to join CALSA, I mean, how, what's the process like? How easy is it to do? It is, of course, super easy. <laughs> <laughs> Teach you up there. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, CALSA, you just go to CALSA.org, uh, C-A-L-S-S-A dot org, and you click the join us and um, you can apply for membership right there. Carter, our membership director, will give you a call and walk you through all the benefits. It's We, we keep our prices uh, for membership, our dues, um, really reasonable and because we're here for everybody. We're here for our smallest members, our new startups, um, as well as our oldest and biggest companies. Mm-hmm. Um, but we want to make it a very uh, inclusive association. Um, so it's, you know, membership dues are as low as I think $500 a year for yeah. some of our smallest nonprofits. And it just goes up from there. If you're making a lot of revenues, you pay a little bit more. And it's just that simple. We'll invoice you. We obviously check, make sure everybody has a license and mm-hmm. Uh, we have a strong ethics code, um, so we we want to build a quality industry, quality market, and represent the best of the best. But you know that that is most of our good businesses want to do good work, yes. and so um, yeah, it's real easy. And you know, ben- there's many benefits, not just in terms of making us stronger, right? If we had a thousand members, we could be way stronger for our industry, a, a stronger voice for you. But it also provides a lot of benefits individually to the companies. You know, we talked about our work on COVID, permitting, uh, just information. We do weekly emails that give you kind of hot off the presses information that uh, just keeps you in the know. So there's a lot of lot of benefits to it. Carter can explain all that. Wonderful. You remove a lot of barriers. That's, I mean, if, if I had a short description for what you guys do, you remove a lot of barriers in the Mm -hmm. solar industry. Um, so much good stuff. Bernadette, we are so honored that you joined us on the show. This was such a great conversation. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. We're just so honored that you're here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks, you guys. And Absolutely. keep up all the great work. Yeah, you too. And uh, for those of you that want to learn more about Bernadette and Calsa, visit calsa.org, C-A-L-S-S-A.org. To join the Solar Rights Alliance, head over to solarrights.org. And for more information on how to defend net metering in California, visit savecaliforniasolar.org. For everything you need to know about Freedom Forever and the Solar Disruption Theory podcast, visit solardisruptiontheory.com. And also make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and help us share this podcast with the solar lovers in your world. On behalf of Jules, Bernadette, and myself, thank you so much for listening to the Solar Disruption Theory podcast. We'll talk to you soon.